welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon was preached by my wife, Zoe Brown, and it focuses on Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 36, and Jesus calming the storm and Peter walking on water. Enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 14 beginning at the 22nd verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. And when the men of the, that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our heart be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Without a doubt, fear is an emotion that all too often dominates our lives. It's definitely something, something dominating our headlines at the moment. Whether it's a new viral outbreak, an explosion in Beirut, an attack on religious groups in Sudan, our world can feel like an overwhelmingly fearful place. On a very, very small scale, about 12 minutes ago, the fear I felt when I realised my sermon hadn't downloaded to my iPad was actually quite palpable. <laughs> it's not that I didn't want to listen to Kim's reading. <laughs> But there are so many reminders of the fear that surrounds us on a daily and sometimes even hourly basis. 
Thankfully, in today's passage, Jesus speaks into those fears. And while many leaders and public figures might try to allay our worries with smooth words and ignoring the problems that face us or trying to compartmentalise them, I think this man from Nazareth 2,000 years ago speaks a message of peace in fear that is actually like no other. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid, says Jesus in Matthew 14, 27. And as we think about the upside-down kingdom today, Jesus is going to speak into those fears. And I think he shows us how the upside-down kingdom is a place where fearful hearts can be relieved and where fear becomes faith. So let's begin. I invite you, if you've got a copy of the reading or you've got your own Bible with your Bible app, to open it up to Matthew. In verse 21, we jump straight into the action. As David talked about last week, right before this event, Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people. John's account of the same event tells us that it is at this point that the crowds tried to make Jesus king by force. But Jesus knows that his time has not yet come. So he puts his friends on a boat and sends them to the other side of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, and then dismisses the crowd. Remember, Jesus was trying to withdraw before the crowd surrounded him. And while he knows he will be king, he's not trying to force it because he isn't the type of king we're expecting. When Jesus' coronation comes, his crown will be made of thorns and his throne a Roman cross. But rather than speeding that up, he puts it on hold because he needs to be alone in prayer. And I think that this is a vital reminder for us today about how important time alone with God is. Jesus isn't ignoring the disciples and the crowds when he dismisses them. In fact, he's actually prioritising the prayer so that he can lead them. And when we spend time with God in prayer, we are surrounded by the kingdom of God. If you think about it, Jesus accomplished more in three short years than anyone else in all of history. Yet much of the gospel accounts of his ministry is of his time in prayer. So no matter the time or the place, Jesus knows he can and needs to confidently approach God because God is there and God is ready to listen. At the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this about prayer. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, any ordinary king or politician would do anything to have 5,000 plus people ready to make them lead up by force. But like I've said, instead of pulling on the people, Jesus prioritises the prayer. He withdraws to be with God so that he can be not just king, but he can be the good king. He can be the good king that God has called him to be. And in doing so, he shows us that prayer is that door to God's upside-down kingdom. And if you think about 
the times he prays throughout his ministry, it's anywhere and anytime because God's door is always open. We just need to open the door on our side towards God. When we learn to pray like Jesus did, whenever and wherever as a first priority, then we learn to know Jesus more. And when we pray to God for others like Jesus did, then we help others to know Jesus more. And as he's praying on the mountainside, he notices a storm brewing. To put it into context, the Sea of Galilee is the second lowest body of water in the world. It's 200 metres below sea level. And so the difference between the temperatures on the surrounding mountains and the sea surface meant that sudden storms can whip up large waves and it wreaks havoc for fishermen on flat boats even now. So these waves are crashing about the boat and Jesus' disciples try desperately to row against the wind to shore. Matthew picks up the story in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus walked out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and they cried out in fear. Now remember, the disciples were experienced fishermen, so they had been through storms. This was their working place. But it seems that this one was especially ferocious. They also knew that bodies sunk in water. So when they were in the middle of the storm and saw someone walking towards their boat, they quite rightly thought it was a ghost. But actually their eyes don't deceive them and Jesus approaches them. And in the original language, he calls out, saying something along the lines of, cheer up, lads, I am, don't be afraid. Now the phrase, I am, is dripping with kingdom reference. Because for thousands of years, Jews have referred to God as I am. And it's one of his many, many names. Back in Exodus, when Moses meets, sorry, yeah, Exodus, when Moses meets God in the burning bush, Moses asks God for his name. He wants a way to identify the God about which he's telling people. And God answers Moses by saying, I am who I am. So when Jesus identifies himself as I am, it's not a simple slip of the tongue. He's identifying himself with the same God who spoke to Moses in the bush. Jesus is the great I am. And just like the great I am can make a bush burn but not run out, so the great I am can walk on water and calm storms. While we may know kings and leaders who have authority, only Jesus, the Son of God, can have authority over the waves. But despite this Moses meets God parallel, Peter still isn't so sure. He doesn't quite trust this water-walking figure. And so he calls out in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, he re Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And it's easy to think that Peter's challenge to Jesus is either audacious or thick. But this is the same Peter we meet all throughout the Bible. Peter is impulsive. He's faithful, but he is impulsive and he rarely seems to think much before he speaks. And so he tells Jesus to prove himself, 
by calling him to walk on the water too. At this point, Peter's fear is overwhelming his faith. They're both there, but they're not in balance. But in true upside-down style, Jesus doesn't balk at the request. He gives Peter an opportunity to let his faith overwhelm his fear. Even more surprisingly, Peter starts walking on water too. Now remember, the storm is still raging and the wind is still howling. I'm not sure I'd be stepping off that boat given any amount of money or any water walking figure or any assurances that they were going to save me. But here, Peter is walking towards his Lord and King. And I think in this moment, it's actually a really glorious example of how God calls us, not just Peter, but all of us, not malevolently or deceitfully trying to hurt us, but in faith. He calls us to walk through stormy waters all the time. Stepping out in faith like Peter did doesn't mean life was going to be easy or is going to be easy. Fear is not just going to disappear. And just as Jesus shows Peter, we can see that God calls us in faith to experience the extraordinary. I mean, how incredible would that have been? That with this storm going around and this ghost-like figure, Peter was able to do the extraordinary with God. And whether that call on our own lives is a call into ministry, into parenthood, a call to live in a particular town, to serve in a vocation, God doesn't automatically turn off the raging waters. But what he does do is guide us through it because he is waiting there with us and for us. And so we journey in faith through fear. However, as Peter walks towards Jesus, his concentration wavers. He sees and he feels the brute reality of the wind away from the relative safety of the boat. He freaks out and he begins to sink. While he knows Jesus is right in front of him, his fear again overwhelms his faith. Jesus simply reaches out and catches him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice how Jesus doesn't ask Peter why he's afraid. Jesus understands that walking on water in a violent storm is a pretty fearful thing to do. Nonetheless, he's disappointed in Peter's lack of trust in him. Friends, while the kings of this world let us down, King Jesus is faithful until the end, through the face of every fear. Ordinary kings have all sorts of authority, but they have no power over the wind and the waves. But Jesus isn't an ordinary king, and Peter knows this. He's seen Jesus calm a storm before in Matthew 8. But here again, Peter forgets the type of king he's dealing with and the power that calmed the storm last time. He lets the fear overwhelm faith as his anchor. And this is why he begins to sink. Immediately, Jesus climbs back with Peter into the boat and the wind dies down. 
In Matthew 8, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples ask, what king of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're still not sure in Matthew 8 what's going on. But by this time in Matthew's gospel, everyone on the boat falls down and worships Jesus. Finally, they understand Jesus is no ordinary king. He's the king of the wind and the waves. While ordinary kings tell us what to be afraid of and more often than not rule by intimidation, Jesus' authority helps to deepen our faith and calm our fears. And in the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom, storms are calmed as well as fears. And in using Peter as this example by tasking him to walk on water, Jesus isn't performing some kind of party trick. He's not showing off or taking a shortcut across the lake. He's revealing for us that in this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, there is only one worth thing worth fearing, the king who can calm our fears. And while worldly kings instill fear, the king who is worth fearing actually instills peace. And faith in Jesus is that anchor that can withstand the storm of any fear. Jesus, friends, Jesus doesn't lead us away from our struggles or attentions or the fears. He actually often leads us right into the midst of them. But in doing so, he arms us with the gifts of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit who empower us to follow God's trajectory in the world. You think about Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Fear is there, but so is God. When Peter loses the plot, Jesus is his anchor. He doesn't rubbish our fears, but he does give us something to hold on to. And even though we might not all be called to walk on water, thank goodness, we are all called to step out of the boat in which we live, in faith, to face our fears. But we can do this knowing that in God's upside-down kingdom, Jesus will never fail us or let us fall. And so Jesus and his friends sail smoothly into Gennesaret. The people instantly recognise Jesus and he's mobbed by sick and fearful people. So when there's no hope from earthly wisdom, these people come to Jesus. Let's look at verse 36. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Jesus has just spent the night helping his faithless followers across the lake. But instead, he doesn't ignore the people around. He, in, he doesn't turn them away. He lets them be around him. And all they have to do is touch the hem of his robes in faith and they're healed. Here again, the sickness and fear of our world is no match for God's upside-down kingdom. There is hope that overwhelms this fear. And as people brush up against the love and goodness and wholeness of God's kingdom, they are made whole. 
It's worth noting here that Matthew uses the same word for the people being healed as the words Peter used when he cried out, save me, earlier on. Peter asked for saving from the water. These people asked for saving from pain and suffering. And so as Jesus saves Peter from drowning physically and calms his fears, so he saves the people from their sickness and calms their fears. And I think in this passage today, again and again, we see that the fears of our world are no match for upside, God's upside-down kingdom. It doesn't mean that they're not there because our world is full of sickness and hardship and fear. But in that is the reality that the kingdom of God is overflowing with wholeness, love and peace. So, friends, while the saying goes, fortune favours the brave, we are kingdom people. And I firmly believe that God's upside-down kingdom invites people like us not to ignore fear, but to bring our fears to the God who is bigger than our fears. John Newton wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." So whatever fears you face, perhaps you've brought your worries with you to church this morning. This is a space where we can do that. My encouragement and prayer for you is to bring them to God and to Jesus and to ask God to deal with them. I encourage you not to deny the fear, but to know that in the face of it, God's faithfulness is far greater. Let Jesus call us all out of the boat and to empower us to walk with him on the storms of life. He may not calm the storm instantly, but today's passage reminds us that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, he will not fail us. So let's bring our fears to God and to step out of the boat today. Amen.